0: Lord Jesus, as we come before You, Lord, we humbly admit how desperate we are for You. Lord, I don't believe many of us even realize how much we need You. And Lord, it's so easy to go about our days, day after day after day, just doing whatever it is that we do without even acknowledging You, Lord. We get up, we get dressed, we go to work, we come home, we watch TV. And Lord, we so often... Lord, just set you aside like it's something that we just pick up when we go to church on Sunday. God, forgive us. Please, Lord, I pray you work in our hearts this day. Lord, I pray that each and every one of us in this auditorium this morning would truly be honest and humble before our Heavenly Father. Lord, that we would truly be honest about where we're at with our walk with you. Lord, that we would honestly take a moment to contemplate if we're where we need to be, where you want us to be. And Lord, if we're not, may we humbly admit it and work on changing that. Realizing that you are a God that forgives, a God that will fill us and empower us to do whatever it is that you ask us to do, to be. Lord, I pray that we would want that for our lives. It's not just for preachers. It's not just for deacons or elders or... Sunday school leaders, Lord, it's for all of us. That we would have that relationship with you, Lord, that would we would long to communicate with you every day. Lord God, that we would come to you throughout the day, Father, Lord, for conversation and for help and for guidance, for wisdom. And Lord, that we would daily, as you speak to us, Lord, as we your Holy Spirit impresses upon us, Lord, to stop doing things or to start doing things, Lord, may we be obedient to that still, small voice. And I pray, God, that each and every one of us here this morning, Lord, would, Lord, just be willing to want you more. So, Lord, work in our hearts. Start with mine. I ask, God, that you would speak to me even through your word, through your message this morning. Thank you for how you've been teaching all of us, Lord, through the book of Acts. And I pray, God, that we might apply it to our hearts and our lives every day. Lord, I pray that, as we pray often, almost every week, Lord, that wherever the Word of God goes out, Lord, this is a day that historically, fundamentally, is given to you around the world. And I pray, God, that wherever the Word of God goes forth in this block of time, Lord, that it would not return void, but it would accomplish your perfect will, Lord. And I pray that around the globe today, Lord, that you would empower those who are teaching and preaching your Word. And I pray, dear Father, Lord, that even in our own city, in the, in the Rochester area and Lord, around our state, Lord, that you would bring a revival because of your word. Lord, that you would stir hearts to obedience and to fellowship, Lord. I ask your Father, Lord, that you would, Lord, allow us to see souls saved and baptized and discipled and added to the body of Christ. And Lord, in these days that we're living in, Lord, that we would be a shining light, a beacon of hope for those who need to see you. Lord, we ask that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, thank you for the ones that were baptized this day. I pray, God, your blessing upon them, Lord. Lord, the ones that were baptized four or five weeks ago, the ones that are baptized today, Sean and Peter and Don. Lord, I ask, God, that you would just be with them, Lord. Help them to be a shining light, Lord, as they took this step of obedience and baptism to you, Lord. I ask, God, that we as a church would encourage them, befriend them, and lift them up in prayer. And, Lord, I do pray for others, Lord, who have not taken that step. Lord, that, Lord, soon that they'd be willing to take that step of obedience and be baptized if they've not done so. But, Lord, I pray for everyone here in this room, Lord, that we would not think of today's message as something someone else needs, but something that you may be potentially working in our hearts to make a decision regarding. So, Lord, we ask that you would do that this morning, that your will be accomplished, Lord, that you would be glorified. That you would be lifted high, Lord. Because you said if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. And Lord, that's what we want. We want you to be exalted, we want you to be lifted high. And that you would draw men to yourself this day, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, take your Bibles and turn to the book of Acts as we continue. Brian, you made it. Are you you thought out? The Trail Life boys went camping for two nights. They were out in tents last night. Yeah, no. That's yesteryear for me. Um, I still like holidays ends and so forth. <clears throat> but anyway, I'm glad, that, I'm glad that he's doing that. And Acts chapter, I'm sorry, Acts chapter uh, yeah, 5, we're beginning in verse 17. And the title of the message this morning is, Jailed and Set Free. You know, in the midst of God doing some great things, opposition is knocking at the door. Have you ever felt that way? No matter what God is doing, good things are happening. Opposition is always around every corner, it seems like, to kind of knock you down, to push you over, to knock you aside. And uh, the bottom line is, you know, it brings frustration and maybe even sometimes, you know, damage and harm and so forth. But it was no different for the apostles. Sometimes we get the idea, well, they're in the Bible. They must have had a special protection. No, no, they, they, they went through it just like you and I do. But it seems like no matter what God is doing, and I've said this for years, anytime God is at work, Satan does not want to let God's good work go unchallenged, right? It doesn't matter what you're doing. If you're trying to do what's right, if you're trying to live for God, if you're trying to please Him, Satan is right there to give you some opposition. He's always there. And you can see that in the story again, as we've seen the last couple weeks, really. So as God is working mightily through them, around every corner, someone is trying to discredit and frustrate the apostles as they were trying to do what God had asked them to do. So just for a moment this morning, I want to begin reading Acts chapter 5, uh, I'll be reading from the Legacy Standard Bible, and uh, you can just follow along as I read it, and then we're going to kind of break, break apart the story and kind of see what we can glean from it from for our own lives this day. So beginning with verse 17, says, But the high priest rose up, and those with him, that is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy. And they laid hands on the apostles and put them in public jail. And I don't, I don't think when they were laying hands on them, they weren't blessing them, by the way. Um, But during the night, the angel of the Lord opened the doors of the prison and taking them out, he said, Go, stand and speak to the people in the temple the whole message of this life. Upon hearing this, they entered in the temple about daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest and those with him came, they called the Sanhedrin together, even all the council of the sons of Israel, and sent orders to to the jailhouse for them to be brought. But the officers who came did not find them in the prison. And they turned and reported back, saying, We found the jailhouse locked quite securely, and the guard standing at the doors. But we opened it and found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple guard and the chief priest heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them as to what would come of this. But someone came and reported them to them, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain went along with the officers and proceeded to bring them back without violence, for they were afraid of the people they might be stoned." And when they had brought them, they stood them before the Sanhedrin, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly command you not to continue teaching in this name. And yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered and said, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you put to death by hanging him on a tree. This one God, exalted to his right hand as a leader and a savior, to grant repentance to Israel, and forgiveness of sins, and we are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God gave to those who obey Him. So here you have to understand, once again, as we said in the beginning, in the introduction, any time you are trying to do what's right, any time that you purposely try to be obedient to God, to walk in holiness, to walk in righteousness, there is going to be opposition to that. We've seen that for years and years and years, and so we see that right away in verse 17. You know all the power things. All we have to do is look back in the previous text, verses 14 through 16. Remember this from last week? It says more than ever, believers in the Lord were added to their number, multitudes of men and women. I mean, here they are. You remember back in Acts chapter two, God brought thousands into the body of Christ, right? And now He says in chapter five, verse 14, and now more than ever, more souls are being added. So God is going. God is doing a great work here. He's doing some incredible things. Multitudes of men and women are coming. And verse 15 says, To such an extent that they even carried the sick out into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on any one of them. Can you imagine? We, we talked about this just for a moment last week. Can you imagine having such faith in Jesus Christ and faith in God the Father that we don't know what's wrong. They're sick. They're they're, they're lame. They're whatever it is. Whatever problem that they're going through, we're going to lay them out in the streets and maybe the shadow would come on them. How many of you say you have that much faith? I think I would struggle with that much faith. (coughs) Excuse me. Verse 16 says, also the multitude from the cities in the vicinity of Jerusalem were coming together, bringing people who were sick or afflicted with unclean spirits and they were all being healed. It didn't matter what was going on. God was at work. God was doing great things. And here you come to verse 17, and they're all jealous still. So you notice the opposition. They're looking at all the power things that God was doing, and the high priests and the Sadducees became increasingly jealous so much that they had the apostles thrown into jail. And we see that in verse 18. And they laid hands, and as I said, this laying on hands is not blessing them. They were taking them by force, putting them into jail, and they're basically punishing them for doing what God was asking them to do and how God was working through them. They were jealous. Jealousy is a powerful thing. And we see that throughout the Old Testament in different instances of jealousy. In fact, remember Hannah the seer, when Asa was uh, prophesying and Asa was you know, being the voice of God in Second uh, Chronicles 14 through 16? Hannah and I got so mad at what Asa was saying that he had Asa thrown in jail. And there's just nothing more than jealousy. He was getting the attention. He was, God was working in and through them. Jealousy is not a good thing. But you notice what God does in verse 19. It says, but during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the prison and taking them out, he said, go and stand and speak at the people, or to the people in the temple the whole message of this life. So he has an angel open the door to the jail cell and he lets them out. Now, I can only imagine reading into the text of Scripture here what that jail cell must have looked like. Because we know that from the Scripture, right, there's guards outside the jail door, right, the cell door. There's there's, there's jailers out there. There's guards out there. They're keeping watch. And apparently, they never saw what took place. In fact, the Lord commands the apostles to go preach the whole message of life. And so somehow the angel lets them out. They're out, and they're gone. And at daybreak, the apostles went and preached at the temple. Meanwhile, back at Sanhedrin headquarters, verse 21, um, you see something else taking place. Upon hearing this, they entered into the temple about daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest and those with him came... They called the Sanhedrin together, even all the council of the sons of Israel, and sent orders to the jailhouse for them to be brought. I mean, they don't have a clue what's taking place just yet. Now, you don't think God has an incredible, to me it's kind of a little bit of a sense of humor too, right? Not only is he powerful, but he's got a sense of humor. Somehow he gets the angels in there, gets the, gets the prisoners out, and nobody knows what's going on. Nobody has a clue that they're even not in there. <clears throat> they're back at Sanhedrin headquarters having their little powwow session about what they're going to do with... Peter and, and and John and so forth, and they don't even know that they're not even in there anymore. And so you find out what happens here. <coughs> so there's something odd to consider here. It says here in verse 24. Now, when the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them as to what would come of this. I mean, they, they, I mean, the, the jailhouse is empty. I mean, beam me up, Scotty. They're gone. I mean, I, I don't know. And the reality is they're not where they were put. They're gone. And uh, they don't know what to do. They're perplexed. I think I'd be a little bit perplexed. um, But they're not there. So they're wondering what they should do about it. And then just about the time that they're wondering what's taking place, we find out in verse 25. When someone came and reported to them, the men who you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Can you imagine the Sanhedrin and the council? They're all sitting there going, wait a minute, how'd they get there? Did you let him out? Not me. I mean, think about this for a moment. Question. Do you think the guards were just a little bit scared of what might happen to them when their prisoners were not there? I, I think they're probably at this moment, I'm serious, I did not see, nobody ever came in here. I mean, they're they're, they're pleading for their lives. <coughs> Excuse me. And the reality is, they're not there. They're at the temple preaching. And we see in verse 25, They are there. Verse 26, Then the captain went along with the officers and proceeded to bring them back without violence, for they were afraid of the people that they might be stoned. Now, just think about this for a moment. The Sanhedrin were afraid to respond for fear of being stoned. I mean, they wanted to make all the decisions, right? They wanted to throw them in jail. They wanted to go get them out of jail, bring them back to figure out what they might do with them. And all of a sudden, they realized that something significant has taken place here. They're not in the jail. The guards didn't let them out. How'd they get over here preaching? But somehow we got to stop them. Why? Because, verse 17, they're jealous. <clears throat> they're still worried about what the message that they're proclaiming and the healing that is being done, the works of God that are taking place. And they don't know what to do about it. But they're over there preaching, and the Sanhedrin were afraid to respond for fear of being stoned. But they give them another warning, verse 26. says, so the captain went along with the officers and proceeded to bring them back without violence, for they were afraid of the people that they might be stoned. And when they brought them, they stood them before the Sanhedrin, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly commanded you not to continue teaching in this name. And yet, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intended to bring this man's blood upon us. Now, had they already made this kind of warning before, previous to next? Yeah. Did it stop them then? No. Because they knew who they were called to serve. You know, I, I find it amazing in our lifestyle, in our culture, in the world that we live in, how easy we let someone else dictate what we do or don't do. We're so worried about what, what someone might think, how the, what they might say, how they might feel about us, because we want everybody just to love us and to think the world of us and that they're just such nice people. And you know, we want everybody to like us, don't we? They weren't concerned about that. They weren't concerned whether or not people were going to agree with their decisions. They were willing to say, you know what, you can throw us in jail. You've already done it twice. No effect. God got us out. Both times. But no long long lingering effect. We are going to... He says, we strictly command you not to continue teaching in this name, and yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. I mean, what what a testimony. They, think about this, two guys. Not an army of people. Not a church full of people. Two people. Peter and John. It says, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. And you intend to bring bring the blood of Jesus upon us. What was he saying? He said, you too are teaching, and the word is getting out and everybody's believing you and you're making everybody feel like they're underneath the blood of Jesus. Look at verse 29. We see what happens here. The, people, the apostles' response, verses 29-32. through 32. But Peter and the apostles answered and said, We must obey God rather than men. Question. Who do we obey? Who are we currently obeying? See, I think a lot of us, we say, well, we don't have any other gods. We're not you know, listening to the government. Nobody's telling me what to do. But see, that's the very problem. We're all listening to ourselves. We're letting our own flesh, our own desires, our own wants, our own comforts, anything that's wrapped around me, myself, and I is what controls most of us. And they said, we will obey God, not man. And verse thirty says, the God of our fathers raised up Jesus... And by the way, whom you put to death by hanging him on a tree. This is not the first time that Peter and, and, and John's boldness came out, is it? Remember earlier, it says, oh yeah, this is the man that you crucified. This is the one that I am serving. This is the one that we are proclaiming about. They were bold in what they were saying. <coughs> Excuse me. The God of our fathers of, uh, uh, raised up Jesus, whom you put to death by hanging him on a tree. This one God exalted to His right hand as a leader and a Savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. The very one that you are accusing me of teaching and proclaiming about is the one who has the ability for you to repent and to save your souls. I think Peter was more concerned with their souls than whether or not he sat in a jail cell. He was not worried about comfort. He's not worried about man's applause. He was not worried about anything but being obedient. And really, he had their best interest at heart by saying, you have the ability to repent through this man. And it says and we are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God gave to those who obey him. Remember back in Acts chapter 1, verse 8? But ye shall receive power, and after that the Holy Ghost will come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses. They were filled with the power of God. That's the only reason they could do what they did. It wasn't because they were just great guys in and of themselves. I mean, we know all the stories about Peter, right? If, if Peter could have like a backdoor slogan, to call, it would probably be open mouth, insert foot, right? I mean, he was the one that was rambunctious. He was the one that was sporadic. He was the one that was just, oh, yeah, I'll try it. You know, I won't do that. He was the one that probably had this slogan, open mouth, insert foot. And yet he has all the power and boldness of God upon him. Why? Because he's walking with Jesus. He's filled with the Spirit. And he says, listen to this. You think Peter is different than the rest of you? Than me? No? Listen to this. Verse 32. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God gave to those who what? What's that? So anybody who obeys God has the ability to have the What? Holy Spirit working in and through them. So if you're not walking through the Holy Spirit, maybe it's because you're not walking in obedience. That's the deduction I have to come to. For my life and for yours. If we have no power, it's maybe because we're not walking in obedience. But unless you think that's the end of the story, notice the Sanhedrin's anger arises again. Look at verse 33. (coughs) But when they heard this, They became furious and intended to kill them. I mean, their anger just went to a whole new level. It wasn't just that we're going to throw you in jail. It's not that we're going to go get them out of jail. and It's not that we're going to even go get them from the temple and say, stop preaching. And uh, we're not going to do anything publicly because the people are all for them and they might stone us. They said, forget all that. You have just ticked me off. I'm at a new level of anger and we want to kill you. You know, in the opposition of all that God is doing, in the midst of their opposition, God gives them a Pharisee of all people, Gamaliel. Look at verse 33. And when they heard this, became furious and intended to kill them. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, respected by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and gave orders to put the men outside for a short time. Whoa oh, guys, guys, settle down. Let's not do anything rash here boys. Let's just get let's take a breath here, calm down. You don't want to kill these guys. Yeah, we do. No, you don't. Well why? Glad yes, look at verse 35. And he said to the men of Israel, take care what you propose to do with these men. You better think twice. Verse 36, for some time ago, Judas rose up claiming to be somebody and a group of about 400 men joined up with him, but he was killed and all who were following him were dispersed and came to nothing. And after this man, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of census and drew away people after him and he too perished and all those who were following him were scattered. So in the present case, I also say to you, stay away from these men and let them alone. For this is for if this plan or action is of men, it will be overthrown. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. Or you may even be found fighting against God. Wow. He says, You better think twice before you raise a stone against God's elected man. You better think twice before you try to kill them. Because if you find you it could be that you find yourself fighting against God Himself. Probably not the way they thought it was going to unfold. Probably not how you and I would have written the end of the story. But look at this. Verse 40. So they followed his advice. And after calling the apostles in and beating them, though, they commanded them not to speak in the name of Jesus and then release him. Question. Don't read the rest of the story. How many of you think Peter says, (laughs) You guys are right. We're just going to shut our mouths and just whatever you say. No. Verse forty one. So they went on their way from the presence of the Sanhedrin, rejoicing. Whoa, whoa, wait, did I read that right? Rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for the name. I don't know about you. When's the last time you jumped up and down for joy, the last time you had faced opposition for being a Christian? Oh, wait a minute. I think we have to face the opposition first. We don't live in a world where we face much opposition. I don't know too many people outside of Pakistan, outside of India, outside of some of the Middle Eastern countries. I, I don't know anybody here in America. So if somebody doesn't like what you said. Big deal. So if somebody didn't like that you have a different position than, than they do about abortion. Big deal. We don't face opposition as a body of believers. Not like these guys were. None of us have been in jail for it. None of us have been beaten for our faith. But yet we're so worried about whatever the people think concerning our faith. I'm challenged by that. Because I'm so much in a hurry thinking about me, myself, and I and doing what I do every day that I fail to think about how my story may affect him or her or that group over there. And I just go about doing my own thing, thinking that maybe somehow. I'm doing my part because I'm a good Christian. I go to church. I give to the offering. Folks, we have not an idea of what it means to go through persecution for the cause of Christ. We don't. And they went on their way from the presence of the Sanhedrin rejoicing. They had been considered worthy to suffer shame for the name. And remember Acts chapter 4, verse 12, this is the very name, the name of Jesus. No other name were given among men whereby we must be saved. It's only the name of Jesus that can change a life. And he says, we are rejoicing that we are considered worthy to suffer because of his name. And look at this, verse 42. Unless you think anything that the Sanhedrin or the council did to scare them in any way, shape, or form affected what they did. Look at verse 42. And every day, every day, in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. What a commitment. What a commitment of surrendering themselves to Christ I don't know about you, but I've said this before, but any commitment worth making will require sacrifice. If, it, if you're making a commitment and it doesn't require you to sacrifice something, it's probably not worth a commitment A commitment worth making. In their case, the commitment that they made required sacrifice. And the sacrifice was surrender. Think about it just for a minute. In your mind, answer this question. What is What does it mean to surrender? To surrender. Just take ten seconds to think about that. To surrender means to give something up. It means to willingly give something up. I'm willing to surrender my life for the cause of Christ. That's what they did. What does it tell us in Romans chapter twelve? Verse one. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you what? Present your bodies a what? living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your what? Reasonable form of service. Or in some of your translations, reasonable form of worship. The best way we can worship God is through our obedience. And the best way to start living an obedient life is to surrender your life to His. That means it's not about me. This world was never intended to be about me. It was always intended to be about God and what he has for us, right? That means in my daily living, when I get up in the morning, what am I living for? What occupies my my mind? What drives me? What what makes me tick? What makes me do what I do? All I know is that when God is at work and I join in with what He's doing, A, there's reward in that. But B, there's going to be opposition. But I also know that through the opposition, God is going to be there with me. And I don't have to worry about what anyone else thinks or does. Amen? Amen. So the question I have for you in closing is, how does this story apply to where you live? It's just a simple story. you know, working our way through Acts, it's all kinds of cool things that God is doing. Cool things where the Holy Spirit's at work. And unfortunately, some of us haven't even seen the Holy Spirit work in our lives. Seriously. Have we really seen the Holy Spirit do something miraculous in our lives? If not, you've got to ask the question, why? This just hit me this week. If not, verse 32, look at this in closing. And we are witness of these these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God gave to those who what? Obey Obey Him. God says, if I obey Him... The Holy Spirit will be at work within me. Yes, I know that when I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit indwells me, right? That's scriptural. But it's another thing to be filled with the Holy Spirit daily to say, I surrender myself to God's leading. I surrender my will to His, that He would work through me. It's another thing to say, God, fill me with your power So that I can walk and do what you ask me to do. To be who you ask me to be. I'm willing to surrender my will to yours. That's Romans 12.1. A living sacrifice. Not die for me, but live for me. I've thought for years that just the practical application of Romans 12.1 is this. Am I willing to sacrifice my dreams? My desires? My wants? My goals? Anything that revolves around... What I think I deserve. Am I willing to set aside what I want to say, God, I'm willing to live for what you want? That's surrender. And when I'm willing to surrender my life to his and obey him, verse 32, the Holy Spirit's willing to work and obey or work through those who obey him. So the question is: are you obeying him? Are you surrendered to him? Are you committed to him? and is the Holy Spirit will work within you. If you can say yes to those, then no matter what you do and what God is doing in and through you, regardless of the opposition, God's going to be giving you favor. He'll work through that. Lord, as we come before you, Lord, it's just another simple story. And the story is really, truly about commitment. These men endured suffering and persecution they endured jail. And none of those things even bother them. And yet we in our day and age are bothered by people who don't agree with us. Or people who say something mean towards us. Lord God, we don't have a clue. We don't even understand what that means, dear Father. God, I pray that you would Lord, work in our hearts to draw us closer to you. Lord God, I pray that you would work in our hearts, Lord, to show us what it means to truly be committed and surrendered to the cause of Christ. I pray, God, that you would help us to walk in obedience so that we might have the Holy Spirit working powerfully in and through us. God, I pray for everyone in this room, Lord, that we might sense your Spirit at work. Lord God, I pray that we would desire that. As heads are bowed nice are closed, just for a moment as we do each and every week, we have an opportunity to respond to what we've heard. It's just a simple message. It really is. Just another part of the story as we were making our way through Acts. But the simplicity of the story really is relatable to where we live. Are you walking in obedience? Are you committed to the cause of Christ? Is the Holy Spirit at work within you? If not, then there's a decision to be made. Either to seek forgiveness and repentance of sin and choose to walk in obedience or to pray that God will give you the boldness to live how he's called you to live. I don't know what it is for each and every one of you. I don't know how God may be working in your life. But I want to give you that opportunity to respond this morning. Say, Pastor, if I'm honest with myself, uh, if I'm just being honest before God, and God knows my heart, I've not seen the Holy Spirit working mildly in my life. And if I'm honest with myself, it does come down to some areas of obedience. You see, I can't have the blessings of God without obedience to God. It doesn't work that way. But you say, Pastor, if I'm honest with myself, there's some things in my life that need to be made right There's some areas of obedience I need to step up in. Would you pray for me? Anyone like that this morning? Yes, yes. All around the auditorium. All around. Say, Pastor, that's me. I have not seen the Holy Spirit because I know that there's some areas of obedience I need to deal with. Maybe this morning it's an area of commitment. I'm too worried about what everyone else is thinking. Too worried about how everyone else is going to respond to my commitment. Maybe this morning you say, I need to quit worrying about what everyone else thinks. I just need to live boldly for God. Maybe God's challenged you that way. You say, Pastor, pray for me. That's how God has challenged me this morning. Anyone like that? Yes, yes. Can I just challenge all of you who've raised your hand this morning? Just simply right there where you're at, right there in your seat. Many of you, raise your hand. So don't walk out having not dealt with it. If the Holy Spirit has convicted you of a need that needs to be changed in your life, just simply, you know what God's Word says? In 1 John 1, if we confess our sins, He is faithful just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God says, I will forgive if you repent. And so this morning, I challenged those of you who said there's some things that need to change just to simply take a moment and say, God, forgive me. And be specific about what it is that you're asking God to forgive you for. Be specific. If you're not reading your Bible and praying, say, God, forgive me for not walking in fellowship. If you're not telling sharing your faith with others, say, God, forgive me for not doing that. If, God, if if your sinfulness is a lack of faith, then say, God, forgive me for not having faith in you. Be specific about whatever it is that God has challenged you with this morning. And when you are, God says, I will be faithful just to forgive you. I'm thankful for a God of second, third, fourth, 25th, seventy, hundred 100 chances. He gives us an opportunity to start fresh each and every day with his grace and his mercy. But it requires something on our part to repent and to seek that forgiveness. And he will do that his part. Just take a moment and pray and say, God, I need your help. Make yourself dependent upon God to do what you cannot do. Let's all stand to our feet this morning. Lord Jesus, you know our hearts. You know the very thing that distracts us from going all in. And Lord, for many of us, it's something so simple. It's our flesh. It's our own wants, our own desires, our own selfishness. And yet, Father, Lord, we are reminded over and over again that you love us, you care for us, but you expect us to walk in obedience. Lord God, thank you for your mercy, your grace, your patience with us. God, I pray that you grant victory this day for many of us. Lord, as we go about our separate ways, Lord, might we seek daily your face to walk in obedience, to glorify you in all that we say and do, our actions, our reactions, our thinking, Father. I pray that you would help us, Lord, and we'll praise you for it in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We are going to close in a closing song in just a moment. But as we did last week, I want to close by just giving us an opportunity to pray together as we've done the last couple of weeks. And so maybe you're here this morning and say, Pastor, I would like to just pray publicly. I just want to reach out to God. I just want to share my heart and pray for us. I'm going to invite those that want to pray to pray, and then I will close in prayer after that song. Ben.
1: Say I am rich because of what?
0: but if there's one or two or three of you that would like to pray, let me just open it up to you, and you pray as God would lead you to pray. And let's, let's ask God this week to help us live obedient lives. Let's ask God that as a result of our obedience that we would see the Holy Spirit working in and through us. Amen? Amen. So let's just give you an opportunity to, if two or three of you would like to pray, and then I'll close.